All right, so a couple of things happened in inclusion news that definitely required some additional conversation. So the first one is from Ralph Lauren, and the second is everything that's been happening with Zara. A lot of times when things happen in the world of inclusive marketing, out in the wild, out with brands and businesses, a lot of times, of course, because of what I do, right, I'm going to naturally have opinions and thoughts. And there are other times when things will pop up where I'm going to have opinions and thoughts, but also... In the case of this Ralph Lauren one, I was quite conflicted and I really just needed to talk to another person in the space to kind of work through my feelings, my emotions, my thoughts. And that's what we did today. On this episode, I sat down with Miriam Shabab. She's been on the show before. She's an inclusive marketing strategist. And we talk in great detail about this new Ralph Lauren campaign and initiative, as well as everything that went down with Zara. So after this short break, you'll hear our conversation, which I hope you'll find just as insightful because a lot of times inclusive marketing, just like with most things, isn't black and white. It isn't check these boxes and everything is good. There's a lot of nuance and a lot of gray areas associated with it that we really need to take the time to think through and to digest and to sit with. So hopefully you'll enjoy this conversation and you'll get some insights. And I'd love to hear what you think afterwards. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> All right, Miriam. The reason why I wanted to sit down and talk with you and talk with other inclusive marketing uh, marketers about this topic in particular was because whenever I heard about Ralph Lauren and their collaboration, Naomi Glasses, whenever, um, and I hope I'm saying her name correctly, Naomi Glasses, there, and she's an indigenous woman. I, I've done a lot of research on it. This is, uh, she's their first artist in residence. She is an indigenous woman, an indigenous weaver. She's a seventh generation weaver. They have partnered with her. It's the first time ever also that for a collection, someone else's name will be on the collection. So it'll be Ralph Lauren and Naomi Glasses, right? Which I think is amazing. It's wonderful. It's wonderful for her. There's so many fantastic elements of the campaign that I feel like our best practices from a standpoint of inclusive marketing. And Ralph Lauren has talked about they want to move away from drawing inspiration from other cultures, to actually co-creating and partnering. So they spent a year and a half with her in the studios, partnering in the ad campaign for it. There's all Indigenous people. There are Indigenous people who actually did the videography, the photography, 
Like they did so many wonderful things. They also are donating a portion of the proceeds to a charity who is supporting indigenous people. Now, let's get to, here comes the, it's like some of the things that I, I have questions about and that like just kind of make me feel like, I don't know about this, right? So um, this is why I wanted to talk to other people who live in this space to see what, like, what your thoughts were. So my questions are, um, and I want to hear your thoughts overall. My questions came up around, okay, there's going to be three collections in this drop, this collaboration that they've done with Naomi Glasses. The first collection, a portion of the proceeds are going to go to a charity that supports um, an indigenous community. But there's, I could not find any mention to what that percentage of the proceeds are going. Is it 80? Which I, obviously it's not. Is it 50? Is it five? Right? So why aren't we telling us? And why of the three collections, you're only donating a portion of the proceeds in one? That was like my first thing that I'm like, what's going on here? Good to donate a portion of the proceeds, but I feel like I need to know how much. And then the second thing was, is this a cultural appropriation, right? Like, are you still extracting from this community? She's getting paid, yes. All the other people who are involved in the project, yes. But now, moving forward, is Ralph Lauren really just running with this traditional thing? Are people now going to be buying this from Ralph Lauren and not buying it from people who are part of these communities who weaving has been, you know, like, so these are, these are my thoughts and it made me feel a little unsettled. And so I needed to hear from somebody else and see what other people were thinking. So like, let me have it. Like, what are your, what are your thoughts on this thing overall? (laughs) Thank you for reaching out. And when I started digging into this, my first reactions, I guess as an inclusive marketer, I'm always questioning like how, real is this? What is the impact? Why did you partner with her? But when I started to read into it, you know, the first thing you said here, Sonia, is the best practices, they have checked a lot of boxes. (laughs) Ralph Lauren has really, you know, as I was reading their press release, as I was reading into their website and some of the interviews that Naomi did with, I think, their lead creative designer in a lot of fashion publications and other places, the intent I think is right. I think their intent to really do the co-creation and, you know, there really were working behind the scenes with, I think it was an advisory council of folks outside of Ralph Lauren that are indigenous folks to counsel on this. So it's not just resting on the shoulders of Naomi as a singular individual to bring this to life. I think they were doing a lot right. But the fact that they are not sharing the percentage is really interesting. Just from a marketing perspective, why wouldn't you, unless the number is so low that it's (laughs) not worth indicating? And, you know, I've seen everything from businesses doing 20% or 15 to 20% seems like a, to me, baseline. If you're going to do it, you might as well start at that 15 to 20%. And of course, there's brands that are impact-driven, mission-driven that are doing 50%. 
yeah. that are doing more. I haven't seen 80%, but you know, sometimes it's that traditional one for one. Yeah. If you purchase from us, we will donate either product or product value into the community, which is amazing. But the fact that they're not revealing that, I wonder if more folks like us start <laughs> asking those questions, if yeah. they'll be willing to share their cards because they have really been intentional about being able to bring in these other voices. I love that behind the scenes and the ad campaigns, the folks who are taking the photos are indigenous individuals as well. Like they have thought about that. But I do think when it comes to fashion, that is the biggest fashion and food are the biggest areas of potential cultural appropriation and versus appreciation. And it makes me think about that phrase around, you know, it's my community's traditions. It's not your costume. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of the day, it's amazing that Naomi and Ralph Lauren have partnered on this. But at what point are we selling to the masses or those who can afford this? And they don't know the story of what they're wearing and what it symbolizes to Indigenous groups. So the main piece for me when it comes to fashion is the idea of it's the community's culture. It's their tradition to wear certain pieces of clothing with certain symbols. It's not a costume. And they, Ralph Lauren and Naomi, have done an amazing job on the website, but folks like us are reading it. Other folks might be purchasing it. What education will they have and what uh, respect will they have for the history and the meanings, the deep meanings of these symbols that are incorporated, which is amazing, into the clothing? And, you know, there was some quotes I dug into where uh, Naomi really does indicate she wants this clothing line to be for everyone. And in the fashion world, the idea of how you style a garment you know, you choose to wear a particular necklace or shoes yeah. with a jacket. She herself has said she's very interested to see how purchasers of these uh, clothes style it in their own authentic way. Yeah. Which she's getting ahead of it a little bit. She yeah. wants people to personalize it, which, okay. Uh, yeah. I'm still thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. I read something, um, an article where she said that she actually thought a lot about cultural appropriation, right? She thought a lot about it. And where she landed was that she felt like it was an appropriation as long as someone from the community was involved in the creation process. And cultural appropriation, there's such a line, right? Like it's such a blurred line because people from the same community can have a different point of view and different perspective on it. So I I don't want to say they're doing cultural appropriation. I I don't want to say that. I just want to acknowledge that I felt a little uneasy about it. As much as I love this collection, as much as I, I think it's beautiful and they've done so many wonderful things, I still have some questions and me personally, there are certain things when it comes from cultures or certain communities where like, okay, I have a pair of earrings that one of my friends, when I was living in Argentina, she's from Brazil. She gave me these earrings and they're amazing. They're beautiful. I love them. I don't feel like them culturally appropriating anything by wearing these earrings, right? Like, 
They're just a part of Brazilian culture. And like, I get lots of compliments on them. As beautiful as these garments are, I don't think that I would ever wear them because I feel like so much of it is a part of this community's culture. That's a personal decision, right? Like there are certain elements of culture that I feel like I can appreciate. And there are other elements where I feel like I'm not a part of it. I can't do it, right? But that's just my own personal line. Different people have different lines, right? So I I think that it's just something to be aware of for brands and marketers that their best practices, which in a lot of instances, Ralph Lauren has followed. I think the biggest question for me is really around extraction. Are they extracting more than they are giving? The short answer is probably yes for my reaction. (laughs) They're not giving that percentage of giving back into the community beyond, of course, there is a paid collaboration with Naomi. Yeah. But giving back into the community further, that's a really interesting question in terms of the extraction value. Yeah. Because I do think they're trying to get around that, that piece of, they really do, or Naomi seems to communicate, want to invite others in yeah. to being comfortable in wearing this clothing yeah. for themselves and giving homage to the idea of American clothing. What's more American than yeah. the indigenous clothing styles? So I was really happy to see that acknowledgement yeah. because Ralph Lauren is this all-American brand right. as right. their brand identity to be. So in that sense... The fact that they're owning up to acknowledging the role of indigenous culture in American culture was really interesting to me. But the idea of how are you using beyond the clothing and beyond the marketing campaign, giving back into that community. So it's not just the donation into a nonprofit or what have you, but I'm curious about supply chain diversity. Who's manufacturing these garments, right? Oh, yeah. And who the individuals in store, retail folks, are they being educated on this as well? Like you and I are consumers of seeing the materials, but what training are you giving internally to employees, not just at HQ, but in the retail settings around answering consumer questions about these pieces of clothing and who's making money off of this Yeah, maybe that's what it is. Going back to like we were talking about, is this extraction or not? I love that the history, the traditions, the clothing is becoming mainstream. However, the would I prefer that the people who are making the most money off of the history and the culture and the traditions, I would prefer that it's the people who are actually their culture and their traditions and the hit, like that they're making the money from it. So can Ralph Lauren be, make it more iconic and reach more people? Yeah, they've got the power and the resources, et cetera, to do so. I, I don't want Ralph Lauren to be profiting more from this history and culture than the indigenous community. I think that's where it rests for me. Yeah. <laughs> well said. 
I think that is a perfect takeaway. And I think part of it is the education of consumers. How are you as a marketer exploring and giving the stage to consumers to learn and dig in? And I think that they're doing some things right there, but yeah. there's also yeah. lessons that can continue um, for other brands to dig in further. Yeah. All right. Thank you for letting me, like, for talking through this. Like, I just, I needed to talk through it, right? Like, I just was unsettled in my soul. <laughs> and I was like, why do I feel so unsettled? Like, so, okay. I'm so glad we had the chance to talk about this. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron? Or could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs in a full 360 view of every customer so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. All right, moving on to... The second brand that we wanted to react to today is Zara. They've been in the news a lot lately. So I'm going to let you take the reins and like set Zara up. (laughs) Sure. Okay. So the Zara marketing team launched recently a new campaign for, I think it's called The Jacket. And it was a whole series of images which showcased mannequins wrapped in white cloth, some of them missing limbs as well, and the model standing in the middle um, in a very power pose position um, over some of these wrapped mannequins. It was a scene of chaos in a photo. Um, Things were intentionally ripped up, looking like they'd been destroyed in the background as well. And essentially the reaction and the timing of this campaign is during the Israel-Hamas genocide that is happening right now. And many consumers, audiences, saw this campaign go live on Zara's website, on Zara's social media channels, and felt disturbed by the images they were seeing because they were very similar to the images that are flooding social media, the horrific images coming out of the destruction and the violence that's happening in Gaza right now. And the idea of consumers seeing these images from a brand that is trying to sell something with no recognition of the similarities in the images was shocking to me. There's this term shock vertising, and I don't know that they were intentionally going for that. It was more so I think they were significantly unaware of how their images would be perceived. But the the issue for me was when audiences were telling them that this is how they are receiving these images to be 
in distaste, to be um, disrespectful to actual lives being lost, they weren't ready to listen. And there's this term you use so often, Sonia, of customer-centric marketing. Yeah. What Zara did was the opposite. Instead of listening to their customers, ultimately it took them, it looked like about 48 hours or so to actually make a statement when they realized so many individuals, customers or potential customers or former customers were on their social media feeds using phrases like boycott Zara or also just indicating what they found wrong in the images. And they made a statement that was the anti-statement of the year, I think, in terms of how, in general, a brand should respond to a crisis of any kind, uh, but particularly a crisis that their customers are saying that their images are insensitive due to global events and how it's making them feel. Their statement was just the opposite of how any brand should handle a situation. And I did a thing where I, I've been experimenting with ChatGPT more. And I asked ChatGPT, write an apology from a brand that has created an insensitive, culturally inappropriate campaign. And ChatGPT did a better job of checking <laughs> than I'm sure a committee of folks at Zara. That's the stage. <laughs> yeah. So I I was looking at a lot of the comments. So for context, whenever we say that people were angry in the like on the Instagram post alone, there were more than two hundred thousand comments, right? In a very short time period, right? And the vast majority of those comments were negative and expressing Zara like what are you doing? WTF? Like, what is happening, Zara? And I looked at some of the commentary, like, whenever they did issue their statement, because I can't even call it an apology anymore. I'm calling it a statement. Sure. So just to be clear, they removed the imagery. They removed the imagery. And in their statement, one of the things that they said was they explained what happened. And what they said was, we conceived the campaign in July. We shot it in September. It has nothing to do, which which the beginning of this war in Israel and Hamas started on October 7th, right? So they're trying to add this context that all this happened before. So it couldn't have anything to do with what we're seeing now from this genocide. Right. So that was where they started. And then they said, let me just read the, the statement. After listening to comments regarding the latest Zara Atelier, I don't know how that's how you say it or not, campaign, the jacket, we would like to share the following with our customers. The campaign that was conceived in July and photographed in September presents a series of images of unfinished sculptures in a sculptor studio and was created with the sole purpose of showcasing craft-made garments in an artistic context. Unfortunately, some customers felt offended by these images, which have now been removed, and saw in them something far from what was intended when they were created. Zara regrets that misunderstanding, and we reaffirm our deep respect 
towards everyone. <laughs> I have this, this is a screenshot. And somebody in the comment section was like, when they put it in quotes, unfortunately, you felt offended is the most toxic apology ever, ever. <laughs> <laughs> it is toxic. It is gaslighting the customers. It's I fully understand the need to indicate the timeline of when the campaign was shot. That is, there was some folks who were un- trying to understand if there was malicious intent. And I don't think there was. Yeah, I don't either. But being able to hear how others are interpreting your symbols, your imagery in the context of when things are posted, that's what cultural intelligence is. That's what cultural competency is, inclusive marketing, being in this space. And how I know that you think as well, Sonia, is that inclusive marketing is just marketing done right. It's just the future of marketing. I firmly believe that. But then when things like this happen, it makes me question how much more we have to do as marketers, as communicators to get to that end goal, because all marketing and advertising is a symbols (laughs) and how individuals interpret symbols and words, denotation versus connotation. That's just how we have to understand people comprehend things differently based on their lived experiences, based on how they interpret certain pieces and the timing of when that is presented to them, whether it's during a social media scroll or, you know, watching TV or what have you, the mindset of that consumer. And to me, that's just how advertising works, marketing works, but not all folks are open to understanding just because a brand is saying something doesn't mean the consumer is going to understand it that way. Yeah. And I say this a lot. Just because you intend something doesn't mean that's going to be how it's received. Mm -hmm. Think about any communication or any argument or any disagreement you've had with any person ever in your life. How often was you intended to communicate one thing and they received it in a different way that was intended? That doesn't mean it didn't upset them. That doesn't mean that you didn't cause harm. It means that the communication was not received in the manner it was and the damage still happens, right? So are you, when we apologize, period, the apology should never be, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry that you interpreted it in that way, right? What we say, intended or not, can cause harm to people. Mm -hmm. We need to apologize and like take ownership of that and apologize (laughs) Whenever, you know, people, and it's not just like one person. It wasn't a hundred people. This was hundreds of thousands of people who commented and not, and that was just on one platform. And that doesn't even take into consideration the people who were offended, who didn't even take the time to comment, right? Like, so you ha- there's, or, there's, there's like multiples more people, you know, who were upset, but then they, they, they issued this statement. They removed the campaign but so many more people were pissed off because of the way they responded to it. Like you said, there was gaslighting. There was just like, you misunderstood. You misunderstood. There's, yes, like the timeline jibes. But like, I think that there's this, whenever you start to see, like you said, that people are not receiving it in the manner that you intended, you must act swiftly. Mm-hmm. You must act swiftly and understand that this is how people feel. 
This is the impact that it's having. And even though that wasn't, there wasn't malicious intent, there's a real impact because of what's happening in the world. There was no mention of what's happening in the world. Like there was no mention of like what their values were because people were responding. I I feel like they were questioning Zara's morals and needed them to respond like, are your morals and your values aligned with mine or are they like in a completely different place? And their morals or their values, um, because I went and I dug into this and part of their values is respect. So the line that they had in there about respect, we reiterate our deep respect for everyone. And it just feels like I, I think their values could be better, right? Like I firmly believe, especially for a global brand like Zara, respect really isn't enough because people, different people define respect in different ways. And it just feels like nothing. We respect everybody, right? Like, yeah, we respect everybody. We, we mean no harm. We're not going to get into maybe what they felt is like a political sort of, you know, discussion, but it's political. The res- like the response is all politically relate. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, it, it's, you can't just like take that out of the equation. People didn't get an answer about the values or maybe they did get the answer. The values, the, the answer is, because people are still saying boycott Zara because they feel like you don't get it. We're not on the same page here. You're spending more time defending your actions and def- and telling me that I misunderstood it without acknowledging at all the harm that was caused or the connection of why people feel that way. So, yeah. Yep, absolutely. And, and I think that gets down to responsible marketing as well. If this is how your community or your audience is telling you how you're feeling, what responsibility do you have to them to acknowledge how they're feeling. And, you know, part of it is I'm so curious to see what does their bottom line look like in six months time. And, you know, during the holiday time period, which is obviously a big moment for all retailers. Yeah. And are they going to be one of those brands that takes a reputation hit in the long term, both, you know, monetarily and then just reputation? And are they going to come back and reinvent themselves, right? With a new brand reputation campaign because they have the money to. They could. They do. They could. So, all right. I want to give some practical application for people because most people aren't going to be like have like a, a disaster like Zara found, but we're a people. And so we're going to make missteps. We're going to communicate in a way that people aren't going to receive well. We're going to do something that sometimes people aren't going to like. So there's going to come a time at some point, hopefully it won't, but there might come a time where you have to issue an apology for some reason. Maybe it's not a formal statement. Maybe it's just direct from a customer who is like, I didn't like the way you did this or whatever. So I went um, and I researched um, and I found, came across these women who had done a study and I'm going to put it in the show notes for you. And they found six elements of a good apology. All right, let me actually just read, pull up what those six elements are. This is from um, a book called Sorry, Sorry, The Case for Good Apologies. And it's written by Marjorie Ingall and Susan McCarthy. So they have six steps to what makes a good apology. The first one is say you're sorry. Not that you regret, 
Not that you are devastated by how people are responding. Say you're sorry, right? Yes. Number two, say what it is you are apologizing for. Be specific. So Luna is three. Your son is two. He's still, did he turn three yet? Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. Okay, he's two. And I bet you're in a stage where you're like having to teach him about apologizing and saying sorry when they do so. I just had this conversation with Luna this morning um, and we're like, I need you to say you're sorry. And she'll say she's sorry, but I don't, I'm not convinced in a lot of instances that she even knows what she's saying sorry. She's just saying sorry because I'm telling her to say sorry. But we're adults, we're not toddlers, right? And so I'm working on this, but like say what it is that you're apologizing for and be specific so that helps people internalizing that you actually know what you did and that you can do better the next time. All right, show you understand. Number three is show you understand why it was bad. Take ownership and show that you understand why you caused hurt. This is lacking in Dollar's statement. Number four, don't make excuses. Number five, say it won't happen again and what steps are you taking to make sure that it doesn't happen again? And number six, If it's relevant, make reparations. For instance, I'm going to pay for the dry cleaning. Just send the bill to me. I'm going to do my best to fix what I did. Um, Zara, in their statement, did none of the six. None of them. And one quick thing they could have done from a reparation standpoint is they could have made a donation to aid for the people of Gaza, right? Like they could have done something simple just to show, like, we caused harm, here's how we're going to fix it. Not we're offering a sale or whatever, right? You know what I mean? Like, actually do something because the people were concerned for the people of Gaza. Six things make a good apology. Unfortunately, Zara did none of them. If you find yourself (laughs) in a position to need to apologize, follow those six steps. Those are excellent six steps. I think, like you said, they are useful as a brand marketer. They're useful as a mother, as a parent, um, in any relationship. It it truly is as simple as that, but it is complicated when you are in the business world and have a lot of stakeholders that you have to serve. Yeah. So like I said, we will keep our eye on Zara. We'll keep an eye on how this impacts their sales, especially at a very important time of year and how they choose to respond or not as a result of this. But more and more people are making decisions about who they buy from based upon your values. And your values aren't just something that you say, they're something that you live. And opportunity, like these types of things, though unfortunate, are opportunities to prove and showcase your values and show the people who you serve whether or not like you actually care. This Zara's response didn't feel like they actually cared. Yeah. All right. Any parting words of wisdom like on overall or from the discussion or? I would say for marketers, especially in the areas of fashion and food to really be thinking about the next year, cultural appropriation versus appreciation and how you are showing up for your customers first. Because that will support your bottom line. If you listen to them, what they need, whether proactively or reactively from you, um, hopefully in the proactive, less than the reactive, but the reactive is an opportunity, like you said, Sonia, to live your values. Yeah. So I, I just think that there's 
so much that brands can be doing and benefiting from and serving their audiences. For sure. For sure. Thanks so much, Miriam. It's been so fun as always talking to you and we'll catch you next time. All right. I I really am so glad I sat down with Miriam. It was so helpful for me to just talk things out and to process my emotions and my feelings uh, about what's been happening, um, particularly with these two brands. So I'm super curious, what are your thoughts? In particular, I want to hear your thoughts on cultural appropriation and, and, and your thoughts on what this campaign or where this campaign with La Florin falls. Um, I also did an episode on cultural appropriation in case you just need more details about that. Episode 21, Cultural Appropriation and Inappropriate Use of a Culture Not Your Own. Let's talk about it. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes so you can access it easily. If you like the show, oh my goodness, I would so appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review for it in your podcast player of choice. It really does help more people discover the show, which I think like to believe means more people will start practicing inclusion. Um, if you'd also like to support the show, another way you can do that is to share it with your friends, colleagues, and your network. I think very much that you should be getting the inclusion in marketing newsletter. Each week I send news, commentary, stories, and other insights to help you build an inclusive brand that makes more of the people you serve feel like they belong. Go to inclusionandmarketing.com slash newsletter to get signed up. I'll drop a link to it in the show notes for you as well so you can access it easily. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to ensure more people feel like they do. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you soon.